I saw somebody and said, Merry Christmas to him. She said, I'm not allowed to say that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to give you a tip either. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I did. I did. But that's pretty cool. I mean, you can't say that better. You know, I mean, that, that is, that's what Christmas is all about. And maybe you didn't know it, but, but the word Christmas actually comes from two words. You probably figured out one, Christ. The second one is mass. And mass is Latin for festival. You put them together. Um, it's the festival of Christ. So you can call it Happy Hanukkah. You know, you can call it Winter Solstice or Kwanzaa. You can call it. But this time of year, when we say Christmas, that's what we're talking about. Now Hanukkah is something else, and Kwanzaa is something else. But Christmas is a festival. It's a celebration of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you change that, but I'm sure everybody's going to try. But to wrap up our series, I want to focus in on just one verse that line is quoted for us uh, as we talk about this festival of Christ. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 11. You can look at the side screen. But it says this, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I want us to focus on that word Christ just for a few minutes. Now, last time we were together in the series, we talked about the importance of having a Savior. And you'll remember we talked about we don't need a Savior just for eternity. We need a Savior now from the, for the day-to-day mundane issues of life. We need a Savior for our marriages, for our parenting, for our jobs. We need a Savior now. But this week we're going to talk about Christ. This word Christ means anointed. By the way, Savior means one who delivers or saves completely. But the word Christ is a Greek word, Christos, but it literally means anointed. This word anointed appears 554 times in the Bible. It is the central theme of the New Testament. But when you get to the Old Testament, the word that is translated uh, from anointed in, in the Old Testament is, is Messiah. You've heard that word. It's the Hebrew word, Mashiach. And this word Mashiach or Messiah appears 39 times in the Old Testament. Of the 39 times it appears in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, 37 times it's translated anointed. If you want to put ha, which is a prefix. See, uh, when, you, when you try to speak Hebrew, it sounds like you're clearing your throat. But ha, ha, Mashiach means that the anointed. And that's what, you know, I know you're very impressed that a PE major like me knows a little bit of Hebrew. You know what I'm saying? You're not interested in that, are you? You're interested in what does it mean to us personally that when Jesus came that very first Christmas, he was our Savior who was the anointed one. Well, it's interesting if you, you do, and I kind of found this out just doing a little bit of my own Bible study, but if you study the Old Testament, you'll, you'll discover that there were only three groups of people in the Old Testament that were anointed by God. Prophets were anointed by God, priests were anointed by God, and kings were anointed by God. But when a Jesus arrived that very first Christmas, he, the anointed one, this is what's interesting, he became our prophet, our priest, and our king all rolled up into one. So what does it mean that in Jesus Christ, not only is he our savior, but he is also our prophet, our priest, and our king? That's what I want to talk about. First of all, what does it mean that I have a prophet? Well, it's interesting. Uh, in the Old Testament, only the anointed prophets could hear from God. So if God wanted to speak to the people, the only, the only really mouthpiece he had, he would speak to the prophet, and then the prophet would go public and say, this is what God has said. But understand, when Jesus came, and because he came as the anointed one, we now also, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we get to hear from God. There's an interesting verse, Jeremiah 31, verse 34. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he spent a lot of his time talking about the Messiah is coming. But in, in this verse, he talks about when the Messiah comes, there's a new covenant that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is going to usher in. Now, if, if there's a new covenant, then obviously there needs to be an old covenant. And the old covenant, when you think about the old covenant, it's just the Old Testament. It's the law. Uh, it's all the do's, the don'ts. It's all you can do this, you can't do that. It's the rules, it's the regulation. But even more, it was so burdensome because under the old covenant, if you sinned, 
uh, and you wanted to be in good standing with God, you had to go out and find an animal, maybe a dove, a lamb, whatever. And then you would go to the priest and he would offer the sacrifice up to God on your behalf. But understand, your sins weren't cleansed, they were just covered. See, I think we don't know that. They were just covered, and you were okay until the next time you sinned, and then you had to get another animal. I mean, you had to go through the process again. That was the old covenant. But when Jesus came, you remember, even in John 13, where he's having the Last Supper, he talked about the new covenant. What was the new covenant? Jesus was basically saying, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, and I'm bringing in a whole new deal, and the deal that I'm bringing in now is going to have to do with grace. You're going to get what you don't deserve. It's going to have to do with forgiveness and love and mercy. It's a whole new covenant. So Jeremiah, in chapter 31, verse 34, he's prophesying that when Jesus comes, the new covenant will come, and this is what he says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. In other words, it won't be just the prophets who get to know God. Everybody will have the opportunity. And this phrase is why. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. Now let me tell you why that's so important. It's important because in the Old Testament when there was a sacrifice, the sacrifice covered your sin, but it never cleansed your sin. Jeremiah is saying when Jesus Christ comes and he himself is sacrificed, your, your, your sin's actually going to be able to be cleansed. It's not just going to be covered. It's not just going to be hidden from God. It's no longer going to exist. It is going to be completely gone. So you are going to be forgiven. But even the last phrase of verse 34, God says, I will remember them no more. That was never true in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes, we'll get to experience a forgiveness that also comes along with God saying, when I forgive it, I won't even remember it. In fact, I'm going to see you as if you've never, ever sinned in your life. That's why the psalmist could say, he will take our sins and he will remove them as far as the east is from the west, and he will remember them no more. And because we no longer have this barrier between us and God of sin, now all of a sudden, we get to hear from God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't hear God, right? Some of you are thinking, I'm not even sure I want to hear from God. That kind of freaked me out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I always remember the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. He was a little boy, prophet in training, living with the priest Eli. And God spoke to him audibly, called his name Samuel. I'm just going to tell you something. If I'm a six or seven-year-old kid and God calls my name in the middle of the night, I'm 57 years old, I'm still sleeping with my parents. You know what I'm saying? That would freak me out. So we think we don't hear God. Let me tell you, here's the problem. The problem is not that you can't hear God. If you're a Christian, the problem is not that you can't hear God. The problem is you probably aren't spending enough time with him to recognize his voice. But I'm telling you this, if you will spend time with him in his word, meditating and praying to him, I'm telling you, you will begin to hear him. This is what Jesus said in John 27. My sheep listen, they hear my voice. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, you're going to hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So we get to hear when God speaks to us. Now, not audibly. I've never heard God speak to me audibly, you know. Uh, but God has a way, because he's a spirit communicating with our spirit. I'll give an example. When we moved here from California to start the church, that was, a, that was the biggest decision we ever made in our lives. That's one, if you don't get right, you, you could mess up your life forever, right? You could mess up your kids forever. You could mess up a lot of stuff forever, right? So I didn't really care what my friends thought about me moving to North Carolina. I didn't really care what my family thought about me turning our back on the security we had in California. I didn't really even care what Lars' family thought, but you know what I cared about? I cared what God thought. 
Because I'm like, I want to be right where God wants me to be. So I, I want him to communicate. And he just had a way of communicating that this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And when God communicates with your spirit, there's just a sense of peace. There's this sense of confidence. There's this sense of assurance that you're doing the right thing. You're right in the center of my will. Now I'm telling you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you now have a prophet, Jesus Christ, the anointed one that you can hear. And he works for you as a prophet. What does it mean that I have a priest? Well, because I have a prophet, I can hear from God. Because I have a priest, I can talk directly to God. You see, in the Old Testament, the only ones that could talk to God were the priests. And they had to be anointed to talk to him. And they had to be anointed to enter into his presence. And even then, they could only go into the presence of God once a year. But every day as a priest, they had to offer a morning sacrifice and they had to offer an evening sacrifice. The morning sacrifice was to cover all the sins you committed during the night. For example, many of you who went to Christmas parties on Saturday night, you would need a sacrifice this morning. I mean, to cover, you know, what you did, your behavior at the Christmas party. If you got up in the middle of the night, you had to go to the bathroom, you stubbed your toe and you let out a string of words you shouldn't be saying. The morning sacrifice was to cover that. The evening sacrifice was to cover all the sins that you had committed during the day. But you had to go through, so you'd go to the priest and, and he would offer up the sacrifice and you were good until you sinned again. Again, because it didn't cleanse your sin, it just covered your sin. But listen to this verse in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. It's talking about Jesus. Unlike the other high priests, what high priest? Well, the high priest of the Old Testament. He, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin, then for the sins of his people. That's talking about the Day of Atonement. And then he says, he says this, he tells us why. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Now, let me tell you what that means. When you decide to follow Jesus, when it clicks, I need a savior, <laughs> and you accept God's free gift of salvation, at that moment, every sin that you've ever committed up to that point is, is wiped clean. It's as if it never, ever happened. But here's the question I want you to think about for a second. Are the sins that you're going to commit later today, are they forgiven? How about the sins you're going to commit tomorrow or next week or next year? Are those sins forgiven? And the answer is yes, and I'll tell you why. Because if they're not forgiven, if they're not under the blood, that Jesus has already shed, you know what that means? That means he's going to have to die again. And I'll let you in on a little secret. He ain't dying again. Once he died for us on the cross, he died once and for all. And as our priest, understand, he was the final. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, we can be forgiven totally and we are forgiven unconditionally. Our past, our present, and all of our future sins. Now let me tell you, there's some practical ramifications to this little theological truth here. Many of you are from a Catholic background. Uh, over half of our church is from a Catholic background. Every time I teach a new members class, a discovery class, I say, how many of you are of a Catholic background? Sometimes 50 to 60%. I think I ought to be called the Pope of Hope. I'm not getting any. I, I can't get that to take off, but it's just got a certain ring to it, right? But because Jesus is our priest, this is what I want you to understand. This is why there's no need for you any longer to go to an earthly priest to find forgiveness. You know why? Because your sins are already forgiven. That's why you don't need last rites. Last rites are just in case something happened that you didn't get taken care of. No, you know what? Those sins are already forgiven. 
That's why you don't need to go pay penance. You know why? Because the cost of your sin has already been paid for. All of your past sins are forgiven. All of your future sins are forgiven. They have been paid for in full. You see, this is why Paul could write in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Romans 7 is kind of cool. Paul's saying, just like the rest of us, the great apostle Paul, the things I know I ought to be doing, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't be doing, I find myself doing all the time. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me. And he says, wretched man that I am. And there probably shouldn't be a, a chapter break there. Chapters in the Bible, they weren't inspired. It's just later on when the Bible's translated, somebody decided this would be a good place for a new chapter. But you finish chapter 7, and you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and this is what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. It's like Paul had to remind himself. He's feeling wretched. He's beating himself up. And he reminds, oh, yeah, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, now I remember, right? And the reason there's no condemnation is because God took all the condemnation that we deserved and he put it on Jesus. That's why later on, when Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, he gets to chapter 5 and he says this, God made him, who? God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And Jesus, the anointed one, our priest, paid our penalty with his own blood. You know what that means? It means if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you are completely, unequivocally forgiven. Free. And it's because we have a high priest that died for us. By the way, since, since he's our priest, we can go to him anytime we want. Unlike the Old Testament, the priest could only go once a year, right? The people could only go through the priest once a year. We can approach him once a day, once an hour, once a minute. We can talk to him whenever we need, as much as we want. You'll never hear him say, hey, I'm kind of busy today, or I got a little few things going on over here. I'm preoccupied. No, anytime. So Jesus, is, he, he's my prophet. He's my priest. He's my king. What does that mean for me? It means that I can live the life that God created me to live right now on this earth. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. I can live it now because the king of kings lives in me. This is what Jesus said to his disciples right before he returned to heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And let me tell you why that's so cool. If the one who's been given all the authority, Jesus Christ, is living in me as my Savior, you know what that means? That means I can live the life that he wants me to live because he will empower me to live it. That means that regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of my circumstances, I can experience the life that God created me to live right now. See, I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to find peace. I can have peace in the midst of my circumstances and turmoil right now. I can have purpose right now. I can live a life of fulfillment right now. I can live the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. You remember that? He says, I didn't just come for you to have life. Anybody can have life. I came that you might have it to the full. I came that you might have it abundantly, not in heaven, right now. Now, this is what I want you to think about. In this series, think about what we've learned. Because Jesus, that first Christmas, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the incarnation. We got to experience his presence. We learned that because he dwelt among us, we have among us, we have access to what? A wonderful counselor. A counselor who's never going to give you bad advice is always going to steer you right. We have a wonderful counselor. We have a mighty God who has the power to do in our lives what we can't do. We have an everlasting Father who is never going to leave or desert us. And we have a Prince of Peace who came so that we could be reconciled, have peace with the Father. The last time we were together in the series, we learned not only that, we have a Savior. That a Savior came. 
And we learned that we don't need a Savior just for eternity. I need a Savior right now in the day-to-day issues of my life so we have a Savior. This week we're discovering that in Jesus, we also have a prophet which allows us to hear from God. We have a priest that allows us to talk to God. And we have a king which allows us to live the life that God called us to live. So the good news of great joy isn't that 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, a baby was born. That's not the good news of great joy. The good news of great joy is that God took on flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And when 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 he took on flesh and became present with us, he said, I'm here because I want to have a relationship with you. And in order for us to have the opportunity to have that relationship, he's willing to forgive us of everything we've ever done, everything we ever will do. On top of being in a relationship, on top of being able to experience total forgiveness, he's also willing to empower us to be the people that he created and he has called us to be. And then sort of like a cherry on top, he is willing to give us eternal life with him in heaven when we die. And this is all we have to do. This is all he needs from us. We have to reach out and accept the gift, this free gift of salvation that he offers us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If that's true, if it's true, that's not just good news. <laughs> that's really, 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 really good news. And I don't know about you. I can tell you're bored to death. But when I study this stuff, I know I'm naive, but I don't understand why everybody after hearing this good news doesn't want to become a Christian. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you're never going to get a better offer than this. And if you don't believe me, just check out all the other world religions. All the other world religions basically come down to this. I'm going to do the best I can, and I hope I make it, but there's really no guarantee. But then Christianity comes along, and God says, I want to forgive you of all your sins. I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm going to empower you to be the life that I, live the life I want you to live. And on top of that, you're going to get to go to heaven with, when you die and spend eternal, eternity with me. And he says, it's basically free just for the taking. I mean, you can be cynical, a skeptic, an atheist, an agnostic, but I'm telling you, aren't you at least curious when you hear that? I mean, don't you think, I should at least check that out, right? And I realize I'm biased because I've seen God do so many incredible things. I've seen God put marriages back together that from a human perspective, there's no reason they're together. I've seen God bring prodigal children back home. I've seen God uh, turn family finances around. So I've seen him do so much, I understand I'm biased, but I don't know why everybody doesn't at least consider Christianity and check it out. Because if it's true, there is no better offer. If it's true, I'm promising you, there's nothing out there any better than this. This isn't just good news. This is incredible news. This is unbelievable news. And so for the life of me, I can't figure why anybody wouldn't want it if it's free. I was in the coffee shop the other day. You know, it's kind of like getting a cup of coffee and some guy said, you drink coffee? And I'm like, yeah. He says, I don't like coffee. And he starts telling me all the reasons he don't like coffee. You know what I'm thinking? You don't like coffee because you don't let me fix it. I mean, you put enough cream and sugar in coffee, it's like a milkshake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> Two or three Christmases ago, we decided instead of buying the kids Christmas gifts that year that we were going we to take them on a cruise and my son was going to get engaged. And so was, we just decided to do it. And, and I came back with a tan and somebody said, wow, you look tan. Where you been? December. I said, on a cruise. I hate cruises. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I mean, how can you hate a cruise? So, so, so they start listing all the reasons they don't like cruises. 
I'm thinking, you've just never been on a cruise with me, you know. I mean, who doesn't like sitting beside a pool all day, you know, listening to a Jamaican band playing, who let the dogs out, you know what I'm saying? Who doesn't like that? How do you not like that? Who doesn't like midnight buffets or 12 to 14 meals a day? Who doesn't like that, right? Who doesn't like sitting on the deck of a ship, watching it pull away from the port, smoking a good old cigar? Not smoking, but offering up a burnt offering. I mean, that is much more spiritual. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? You know, how, you know, it's like some of you, I mean, have you ever, you know, don't you ever feel that way? There's just something you just love so much, you can't understand why. Ever, some of you like that with your iPhone. I got an iPhone. And you're like this all the time. You know, I've been to the beaches and I'll see girls laid out on their belly. Not a, I don't know if they're texting each other. I don't know what they're doing. But so you, you, go, you, you should have this phone. This is the best. You, want, you can't understand why everybody doesn't have that phone. They don't have this computer. You know, they don't drive this car in the same way. I can't understand for the life of me why everybody in the world wouldn't want to be a Christian or at least check it out. Because if it's true, there is no better offer. I mean, if God really gave us his son that first Christmas so that one day he could die on a cross... And our sins could be forgiven. We could be in a relationship with God. We could have the power to be the people he called us to be. And one day we get to go to heaven when we die. Seriously, top that. But that's if you're looking at it from my perspective. I realize there are other perspectives because some of you, you're thinking right now, yeah, Mike, but you don't know my story. And so there are, basically I've thought about it. There are three hindrances, I think, that keep people, regardless of what you hear, three hindrances that keep people from saying, I want to be a Christian. I want to accept what Jesus Christ did for me. Uh, hindrance number one is this. Bad explanation as to how you become a Christian. I mean, you've had people try to explain the process to you, and to, from your perspective, it's so confusing. And to be honest, if, if I had heard people explain it, have I heard people explain it to me the way you, you've heard it explained to you, I probably wouldn't be a Christian either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe you got a friend who just saying, you just got to believe, you just got to believe, you ought to be a Christian, you got to believe, turn or burn, you got to believe. And so maybe you're at Starbucks and you say, hey, okay, tell me, Tell me, what is, it, what is it I need to know? And you're like, oh. And then they just, okay, this Genesis. It starts in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He also created Adam. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. I was an Adam, but now I'm in Christ. And after, and after that, God looked and he said, wow, look at this mess I created. I don't even like these people. So there was a flood and he destroyed them all. Except one family left them around and they grew and they, you know, they, the earth grew again, people in the earth and the prophets came along and the prophets said, one day Jesus is coming. One day the Messiah is coming. Then there was 400 years of silence. And then finally Jesus came. And he was born in a manger, and he died on a cross, you know. And, and then he was buried in a tomb, and three days later he came back to life, and then he ascended back to heaven. But one day he's going to come back to earth. But before that, there's this thing called the tribulation, and there's a beast, there's some whore going to come over from Babylon, and then there's seven seals, and you're like, arr, 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 you're thinking, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I mean, really, right? I mean, if this is not explained clearly what it means to be a Christian, who wants to be a Christian? Who wants to go home and face their family? Hey, guess what? I decided to be a Christian. Really? What's that mean? I'm not sure. Not sure. <laughs> not sure. Well, tell me how I can be one. Don't have a clue. Don't. I don't know what to tell you, you know. So just bad explanations. That, that's kind of a hindrance. Here's another one. Bad examples of Christians. For some of you, you're sitting here right now, your biggest, biggest roadblock to becoming a Christian is you know too many Christians. And this is what you're thinking. Really? I'm already a better person than they are. Why would I want to adopt a belief system that's going to make me like them? I'm already ahead of them. 
I'm totally confused. I don't even know what I believe. And I'm already a better spouse, a better employee. I'm already a better parent than they are. Why would I want what they have? Or maybe you have a business. Maybe you did work for a Christian. You pulled up, fish on the back of the car, bumper sticker, honk if you love Jesus, you know. You went inside, there's a picture of the Mother Mary, there's the baby Jesus with the halo over the fireplace, and you're still trying to get paid from those people, right? You call them, they don't return your call. And you're thinking, why would I want to be like them? I mean, I'm already more honest, I'm already more ethical than they are. So, so sometimes it's just bad examples of other Christians. Here's another one, this is a big one, bad experiences. Maybe you got burned by a pastor, or maybe a youth pastor. Or maybe, maybe it was a church. Maybe you had a bad experience at a church. I go to churches every week, and I mean, I, I meet people every week who come in and say, you know what, I haven't been to a church in 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. What happened? Bad experience, bad experience. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents were so narrow and so legalistic, and you saw how they acted at home, and then you saw how they acted at church, and they were awesome at church, but at home, not, not so much, right? And maybe you left home just to get away from your parents. You didn't want to be like them. The last thing you wanted to do was embrace their religion, right? So there's all of these hindrances, but let's be honest. The problem isn't the amazing, life-changing message of Christianity. That's not the problem. The problem is bad explanations, you know, bad examples, bad experiences. So my prayer for you this Christmas is that you'll find it within yourself to acknowledge Maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's more to Christianity than I've, than I've had explained to me or maybe I've seen lived out or I've experienced. And my prayer this Christmas, because I can't do anything but encourage you, my prayer this Christmas is that you will at least consider this life-changing offer because I'm telling you, it will rock your world. It's good news for all people. You know, I told you last week that John had a unique perspective. This is John's way of saying this is good news for all people. I shared the verse, but I want to break it down this week. Verse 16, I want you to hear the gospel clearly. This is the good news. God so loved the world he gave. He so loved the world. I mean, think about it. Over the next few days, you're going to give gifts to people you don't even like. You know? You drew their name. Unless you're like my family. See, the new generation, the younger kids coming up, they don't want to do, we don't draw names anymore. What if I get their name? I don't like them. They're your family. I mean, how screwed up is this family? I'm looking for a new family to adopt me if you guys are interested, okay? You're going to give gifts to people you don't even like. Some of you, you have gifts for people. They're wrapped under the tree. You don't even know who they're for yet. It's just in case somebody comes up and has a gift for you and you don't have anything awkward, so you put there, look, a lot of prayer and thought went into this gift here. I want you to have this, right? For sure you're going to give gifts to people you love. You know why? Because when you love somebody, you give. So John says, I know that God loved the world because he gave. Do you know what he gave? Verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever works really hard, mm -mm. Whoever obeys all the do's and don'ts, uh-uh. Whoever prays enough, nope. Whoever gives enough, nope. Whoever attends church enough, nope, none of those. So that, verse 16, whoever believes in him. 
In, in other words, the way you receive this gift of God's son, it's not by behaving, it's not by performing, it's not by jumping through a lot of religious hoops. It's by believing, it's by trusting, and you trust in the fact that when God gave us his son, the gift of Jesus, that first Christmas, that his son was indeed the savior of the world. You gotta get there. You gotta get there. Verse 16, so that whoever believes or trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I told you what eternal life is. It's not just that you get to go to heaven when you die. That's part of it. But it's the life we lost when we sinned. It's the life that connects us to God. It's not because we could ever earn it or buy it. It's because God decided to punish Jesus on our behalf so he could give it to us. Give it to us. I mean, seriously, how do you... <laughs> I can't make it any simpler. How do you improve on that? There's really only three responses you can have to the Christmas story. One is you can accept it. You can accept God's free gift of salvation. Maybe this is the year the light goes on. I get it. I get it. I accept it. And my prayer is some of you are there right now, and you'll have the courage to accept it. Second, I guess you could reject it. And maybe your thoughts are, it's just too sensational for me. A virgin having a baby, angels. I could never get there. But maybe there's a third. You, you could investigate it. I mean, I don't care what your religious background is. Maybe you don't have any religious background. I don't care what kind of situation you're coming from. You hear this stuff, you realize that this has been around for 2,000 years and it continues to grow. You realize that the very disciples that fled when Jesus was nailed to a cross, after they saw him come back to life, every one of them were martyred because of what they believed. I've told you before, if it's a big hoax, and I'm just spreading religion. When they come to burn me at the stake, I'm singing like a canary, right? Not these guys. They die. What do they die for? Well, I'll tell you what. A dead man comes back to life. I want to be on his team, right? And that's what they were thinking. Aren't you just a little bit curious how this has survived all these years? So maybe you could investigate it. How do you investigate it? Well, I think one of the easiest ways is this. Pick up the Bible. Go to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things. Just begin to read the Gospel of John. And just do it for 30 days. You say, well, it's the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. Well, let's be honest. You don't believe half of what you read on the Internet, do you? I hope you don't. You still read it. I don't, read half, I don't believe half of what I read in the News and Observer or Time Magazine or New Week. I'm sure everybody's putting a spin on it somewhere. There's, there's something they want me to think is true. I'm not sure I ever get the true story, right? Read it anyway. You owe it to yourself at least to read this. You know, you know what I've discovered? Most people who say, I don't believe the Bible, you've never read the Bible. So at least read it, you know. Try it for 30 days and worst thing that'll happen is you'll read a bestseller. Been around since like 1611, you know? I mean, it's a bestseller. We also brought a book in this weekend, More Than a Carpenter. It's by a guy named Josh McDowell who set out to disprove Christianity, but in the process became a follower of Jesus Christ. $3. Sold out of them. That's what you get for coming to the last service. I've warned you. I've warned you. But if you go by Lifeline's bookstore, we'll have a list there. You put your name on it. We'll have some more here on January 5th. If you, if, even if you don't have $3, if you're willing to read it, I'm willing to give it to you. Um, but just read it. Just read it. I mean, good gracious, it's an hour at the most. You know what you might discover? 
you might discover that something in your heart and mind begins to say, whew, there, there may be something to this, right? Maybe, I don't know. So read, investigate, discover, and you may be amazed at what God will do in the process. And after 30 days, you don't see anything differently, forget it. Don't ever come to church again. Go have fun on the weekends. But just, just try it for 30 days. Because here's the reality. That's not a lot to lose. But if you were listening at all over the past 30 minutes, there's a whole lot to gain. It's worth an investigation. I got this email while I was away this week, and so I emailed him back, and I said, can I share this? And I thought it was so cool. I've been attending Hope for almost two years. I was raised Catholic. Then I went to a small-town Baptist church that had a wonderful young pastor with some wonderful ideas to try to get the young people back into church, but the old Southern Baptist women <laughs> overruled him and squashed any ideas he had. How many of you have been to a, a church like that? I mean, they're like the church ladies, right? You can see them in your mind. You know who these old biddies are, okay? But anyway, <laughs> he said, they ran the church. They were cruel. I had to leave. So for a while, I didn't go anywhere. I hear this all the time. Then I was invited by my sister to come to Hope. She had been coming for years, so I, I finally came. At first, it was a little intimidating. I was lost and confused. But as soon as you started to talk, things started to make sense. I know so much more than I ever have about the Bible. I understand it. I don't walk out of church feeling like I'm a horrible person and I'm doomed to go to hell. I know how to improve. I know that I'm not alone. I know that I'm a work in progress, and I'm beginning to understand what it is that Christ wants me to be. I have grown so much as a Christian. I'm happier. I don't worry. I don't get angry. It's like I'm on an antidepressant all the time. That's funny. In fact, he wrote funny with like 10 exclamation points, right? Then he says this. Anyway, I'm not a Christian because I am strong and have it all together. I am a Christian because I am weak and I need a Savior. That's the message of Christmas. That God said, I love you. I'm going to give you a Savior. He's the anointed one. Let's bow together. You see, the first step in embracing the Christmas message is just acknowledging, I need a Savior. Some of you can't get there. Whether it's pride, ego, self-sufficiency. You just can't get there. And you may have a happy holiday, but you won't have a great Christmas. Because Christmas is about the celebration of Christ. And you can't celebrate it if you don't have a relationship with him. Man, it would be sad if you once again missed the greatest offer ever made. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. This is nothing magical about this prayer, but you'll get the sense that if you just want to talk to God, because you can, you can talk directly to him. And you can talk to him just like you would talk to me. But if you'd be willing to say to him, God, I get it. I know I'm a sinner. I get it. I now understand that my sin separates me from you. But because you love me so much and want to be in a relationship with me, you, you figured out a way for my sin to be paid for. And it was through your son, Jesus Christ, shedding his blood for me. I believe he died for me. And I believe that he rose again so he could empower me to be the person you created me to be. And God, I understand that if I trust in you, that what you gave us was a savior in your son, that even when I die, 
I will spend all eternity with you. I accept your gift. That's it. You know, when you think about it, you're going to live 60, 70, 80 years. Man, we're talking eternity. It's, it's at least, least worth the investigation. But I pray if you're there right now, just make the decision. God will begin to work in your life. And I'm going to tell you all your problems are going to go in a way, and it's going to get easy. In fact, the opposite may happen. God's got to help you unlearn a lot of things. And maybe where you've trusted in yourself, areas you're going to have to begin to trust in him. And, but I tell you this, he'll take you on as a project. And first Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, when he takes you on as a project, he's faithful to complete it. God, we thank you for your amazing gift and your amazing power. And I pray for those right now who are making that decision to receive that gift, becoming your child, and all the benefits that come with your salvation. We praise you for who you are and what you do in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.